Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Thank you. Um, I had the uh, opportunity and I would say the privilege yesterday to preach at a funeral here in town that was over at the Boys and Girls Club uh, for a man who passed away that I personally had had never met in my life. But uh, when I was asked to preach at that funeral, I tried to find some stuff out about him and I found out from Pastor Tom, Tom Chisholm, most of you know used to be the pastor here many, many years ago, uh, that a long, long time ago he had prayed with this man who passed away uh, to receive Jesus, and he told me the whole story about that. And uh, so the Lord gave me a message uh, about that being the greatest day in this person's life. And uh, the Lord just put it on my heart to go there and share Jesus with the people that would be at this funeral. Well, you know, I, I had re- a really strong impression that I wanted to share with you that uh, they, they had me go first, so I wasn't sure what would follow. Uh, what, what, what followed was kind of somewhat surprising for me for a, for a funeral, but um, nonetheless, um, when I left from the funeral yesterday, I realized, you know, I don't know how many people were there, but it, it was, there were more people there than are here there this, this morning in this sanctuary. Uh, there were a lot of people there for, for Yarrington, and I knew some of them. Some of them, uh, there were a few people from our church that were there, but most of them I had never even seen in my life, or if I'd seen them, it was just in passing at the grocery store or something, and I didn't notice them. And <clears throat> I had a real strong realization that most of them, you know, the vast majority of the people there, uh, I'm not going to say that they're unbelievers, because I don't know the state of their heart, and uh, what's going on, what the Lord's doing in their lives, but they're not in church, that, that I know for sure. And most of them really don't know Jesus in, in their lives. And so I left with uh, just praying in the Holy Spirit as I was leaving, and all day that burden just stayed with me, how, how, how desperately we need Jesus in Yarrington, how desperately we need a move of God and we need uh, revival in this community. And um, because I, I understood that for most of the people there, if I, were, if I were to ask them, say I were conducting a survey or something, and I were to ask them, what religion are you or something, they would all say, well, I'm a Christian. But to be of the Christian religion, so to speak, just because you grew up in a conservative uh, somewhat Christian community, or at least a community that uh, touts conservative values when it's convenient, and not conservative when it's not convenient, but um, people just think they're Christians because they're Americans, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and that's been true all of my life, but it's so much more true today. We really need revival in our community today. Uh, about, uh, I think it's been 10 days ago, that um, the revival at Asbury um, uh, University in Kentucky uh, broke out, and uh, a lot of you have been talking to me about that and send me texts. I've actually heard about it the very first day 
through a, a woman who was a friend of my mother's, who's a real woman of prayer, and uh, she had been in contact with me because her grandson needed prayer, and I knew this this guy when he was a little baby and, and had been his pastor at that time. And uh, after we went through the thing that her grandson needed prayer for, the, the next day she said, oh my, I've just found out that revival's breaking out at Asbury University in, in Kentucky. So I started checking that out and kind of watching what was going on. And uh, I, I, I realized that, um, and I realize that now, that it's a very real, very true spiritual and very pure revival amongst the, the students there at that university. And the, one of the moments that really caused me to realize that, you know, I mean, I'm not there and I watch some of the live stream and they've got some live stream stuff you can see uh, online and it felt real, you know, it seemed real. But then I saw an interview this last week, um, which I, I don't watch uh, very much uh, news on TV. Uh, and uh, when I do, it just seems like, well, I just got at the right time. So I saw this interview on Tucker Carlson, and maybe some of you saw it and, uh, on Fox News, and uh, he interviewed one of the young ladies, one of the young students from uh, Asbury um, University and about this revival, and she was talking about it, and she said these words. She said, you know, we have three uh, mandatory chapel meetings a week. Now, I, I wasn't here when Cassidy shared, but you could see the difference in Cassidy when she was here, couldn't you? I could see it. You know, I watched it online, and I, I could see it. When you're required to be in an atmosphere where you're waiting on the Holy Spirit, where the Word of God is being preached, is being taught, then you begin to mature and you begin to grow. And one of the weaknesses in our lives is that uh, we're, we're not in an atmosphere where we're, you know, nobody's required to do, to do anything, but if, we, if there were a requirement, it, it seems that that requirement is to show up on Sunday mornings, you know, once a month or so, and then you can consider yourself a good church member. But there's a difference that happens in a person's life, especially in a young person, in a teenager, and a young 20s age person, when they're still developing they're still learning who they want to be. They're still learning who they are and discovering who they are. And they're in that, th this happened to me, by the way, when I was sent in 10th grade to go to a Christian high school against my will. I did not want to go to that school. I liked the school I was at, but my brother was having uh, problems with drugs, uh, mostly things that are completely legal now, unfortunately. And um, uh, my parents decided he needed to go to this Christian school. And they said, and you're going to go with them? And I said, I don't have any problems with drugs. What are you making me go? But I have never regretted that my parents made that decision in my life and basically forced me to do what they were saying uh, because it changed my life. And being in an atmosphere where daily we had Bible classes, you know, we still got in all the same trouble teenagers get into, had all the same temptations, all those kinds of things. But we were growing in the Word of God and having... Uh, very, uh, uh, a very strong presence of the Holy Spirit in chapels that we were required to go to. It wasn't all the time. We had scheduled revivals. I don't know if anybody remembers those days, but it used to be that in a church you would schedule a revival. You would plan, we're going to have a revival and we're going to plan revival 
this week and we've got this special evangelist coming, this special speaker, and you'd have pack a pew night, invite your friends, get everybody to come to church. And you know, it's really interesting because back in those days, sometimes I would think, uh, not understanding certain things, I would think, well, that sounds kind of plastic, kind of fake to plan a revival. If revival is going to happen, it just has to happen by accident. But, but you know, that's not true. Uh, you know, if we, if we don't have a vessel ready and prepared to receive what God is pouring out, you remember when Elijah was sent to the widow that she was commanded, she needed to go get vessels to get the oil in that God was giving to her. If we don't have a prepared vessel, then when God pours out his Holy Spirit, and it's happened over and over again, we get all excited, we get emotional, we think this is just so great, and then we go home and nothing's really changed because we haven't retained what it is that, that God is doing. So if we want revival, and we want revival, and we're hungry for revival, we need to be prepared for that. So in any way, in this interview with this young lady, I got the very strong impression that they were prepared for this, and that they expect this to happen, that they don't know when it's going to happen, but they pray for this to happen. They want this to be on the campus of their university. And she shared about how it had all begun, and many of you have already heard this if you've been watching this thing or following this, that it all began at a regular chapel service when they made time to wait in the presence of the Lord. You know, not everybody had to rush home to get, you know, to lunch by 12 or something like that. And you've got a captive audience because they're students and they're probably perfectly happy to miss class and stay in chapel anyway. So they, the administration, the leaders, the you know, adults in the room, they understand that we need to allow this freedom of, for the Holy Spirit if we're going to see revival in the lives of these young people. So she said that, that one of the young people, one of the students got up, she didn't say what it was, but he got up and began to confess his faults, confess his sin publicly in that meeting they began to pray and that was just a spark that started everything and you know what i thought you know was was this do we have an atmosphere where you could even feel comfortable to confess your faults before other people in the room because that's a new testament atmosphere for revival you know when you don't think that if I confess these sin and ask for prayer, that everybody's just going to run out and gossip about it all over town. And if you know Yarrington, you, you know for a fact that that's what's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. And you know that you do not feel comfortable being very public about problems you're having in, in your life. And that has to change if we want revival. There has to be real love. There has to be real forgiveness. And the real opportunity to be ourselves, to be honest uh, before God. So I was very impressed by that interview. Well, the next night, as it just so happened, I uh, watched Tucker Carlson again because the subject of it was something that I thought was going to be interesting. Well, he had this little excerpt on there, and this really impressed me. And he said, "Well, last night we brought to you this, re we brought to you this revival, you know, and he's got probably the biggest audience in America." And um, he said, so we got our camera crew ready and our whole team ready. We were going to Kentucky to film this revival because we need to see these positive things in America. All our news is all negative all the time. We had the whole plan ready. We, uh, you know, we're on our way, and we get a call from the administration of the university that said, no, we're not going to allow you to come here. They said, we like your program. We watch you. We're thankful to God for you. 
But this is not a media event. This is something the Holy Spirit is doing for our people, for our students in this, in this place. And I actually read today that they're bringing the revival services to a close. So there's this, this decency and this order that is a vessel that can capture what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because you and I both know it's not revival if the whole, uh, every church in America sends a delegation there and, and you know, we have the Toronto blessing, we have the this outpouring, the that outpouring, and then you have the Kentucky blessing or something, and you take it back, and everybody gets excited and laughs a little and gets all tickled pink, but nothing changes in our lives. Then that's not real revival, because real revival brings fruit into our lives and brings a change into our lives. And real revival in Yarrington will bring people to be saved that people's lives will be changed because people in our community do not know Jesus today. So um, I, did, I wanted to open up the message today by saying that uh, because I believe that we are in a day when the Holy Spirit is ready to move in the United States. Now, I want to share some things with you, and it might... Um, sound like I'm uh, saying the opposite of what I just said, but I'm not. And one of the things I'm trying to get across to you in some of these messages that I've been bringing is let's just get honest about where we are as a nation. Let's get honest about where we are. Because until we can see what's really going on and what's really happening here and the trouble that we're in, you know, when Massey was here a couple of weeks ago, that I already said this last week, but the one moment that I so appreciated was when his wife got up and she just said bluntly, we have lost this generation. Until we can be honest about that, that we have lost this generation. I mean, look at the statistics. Look at the percent of suicide and suicide attempts. Look at the high level of depression. Look at the illiteracy. Look at the inability to to uh, do simple math problems. I mean, we've lost a generation. But if we can be honest about that, then we can find what we've lost. Revival can begin. You know, but until we recognize, until the shepherd recognized that one of my hundred sheep is gone, he couldn't leave the 99 to go find the one. Until the woman who lost one of her 10 coins recognized that, hey, I've only got nine coins. I mean, she can go on all her life pretending like she has all 10. Or she can find it. And she says, I'm going to find it right now. How, I don't, how many of you lose your keys sometimes? Now, I lose my keys quite often. I lose everything that I don't put in the exact designated place that my brain designated for it. My wallet, my keys. If I set it up, glasses all the time. And you can't find glasses because you need glasses to find glasses. But if I set it down in the wrong place, you can ask Tanya, I'm running around, where's my glasses? Where are my glasses? Where's my wallet? Where are my keys? But the one thing I know when I lose something important like that is I cannot allow myself to say, I'll find it tomorrow. Because I've done that before, and I never find it. I've got to find it now, no matter what I have to stop doing, to find what I have lost, or I'll never find it. And if we just keep going on a road pretending like everything is okay, then we'll never have revival, because we'll never find what it is that we've lost. So I'm going to begin... And I'm going to read an excerpt from a chapter of a book. The title of the book is I Believe in Visions. And it was written probably 30-something years ago, maybe, I think 30-something years ago it was published. 
It, it's a book by Kenneth Hagin, not the Kenneth Hagin that's still alive, but the father Kenneth Hagin. Uh, and uh, if you're sitting there and you're saying, I have no idea who Kenneth Hagin is, doesn't matter. Uh, you can find out. If you're sitting there and saying, well, I don't like Kenneth Hagin because he's a prosperity preacher or faith preacher or something like that, then, you know, I was kind of curious what you have against prosperity and faith. I don't know because I'm all for it. <laughs> God wants to bless me. But I want to tell you, I'll tell you this, that when I was in Bible college, I sat under this man and I know that he was a true prophet of God. I know that. Uh, he laid hands on me and anointed me in, in, uh, in ordained me into ministry uh, back in the 80s, and he's passed away long ago. And I just want to read an excerpt from chapter 2 of this book, I Believe in Visions. In this book, all, all he does is just share some of the different visions that he's had, and this is from chapter 2. So this was brought to my attention two months ago uh, when I was... Um, texting back and forth and talking with Pastor Kevin McMullen in Kansas City, Independence, Missouri, that was here. And he shared this excerpt, or parts of this, even less than what I'm going to read to you this morning, with me from this chapter and was talking about things that he had on his heart and what do I think of this. And I, I'm telling you, when I read that, and I've read this book many times. I've had this book on my shelf for years, and it's, you know, and I never really paid attention to it. Do you ever read something, and it's good, but it doesn't really have a whole lot of meaning to you, and then suddenly you read it at the right moment in time, and you really realize what the Lord wanted to speak to you through that. And it, it was like somebody just in a very good way poured cold water in my face or slapped me in the face. It was like a wake-up call when I read this. It, that's probably not even the right example. It was like somebody put the last, this is better. It was like somebody came along, and I've been sitting there for hours looking at this jigsaw puzzle, and, you know, there's only one piece left, but I can't, and I've got it in my hand, but I still can't figure out how to put it in there or something. And somebody came along and said, that's how it goes. And you're like, whoa, now that makes sense, okay? So I'm, I'm going to take this a little bit at a time. And uh, like I said, sorry for reading to you from somebody else's book, but just needs to be done. And these are just some short excerpts. If you want to read the whole thing, get the book, I Believe in Visions. You can get it in PDF for free online even. And this is from chapter two. So uh, the excerpt begins. In the next pages, I want to tell about a divinely granted appearance I had when I was a young man, 33 years old. At the time of this experience, I was conducting a tent revival in Rockwall, Texas. I told you we used to have planned revivals, expecting the Holy Spirit to move. During the latter part of August and the first part of September 1950, pay attention to that date. This happened on September 2nd, 1950. I'll skip through that. And he says, because everyone at the revival service present was a Christian, I gave a Bible lesson and then invited, he talks about how there was a really strong rain that day and a lot of mud, not very many people came just the real dedicated people from the church. I gave a Bible lesson and then invited the people to come to the front to pray. It was about 9.30. Let me say here that I no more expected what was to follow than I expected to be the first man to land on the moon. I hadn't been doing any unusual praying or fasting. I had not been praying that I would have such an experience. In fact, I had not even thought about such a thing. Everyone was praying around the front, and I knelt on the plat platform beside a folding chair near the pulpit. I began to pray in other tongues. 
And I heard a voice say, Come up hither. At first, I didn't realize that the voice was speaking to me. I thought everybody heard it. Come up hither, the voice said again. Then I looked and I saw Jesus standing about where the top of the tent would be. As I looked up again, the tent had disappeared. The folding chairs had disappeared. Every tent pole had disappeared. The pulpit had disappeared. And God permitted me to see into the spirit realm. Jesus was standing there and I stood in his presence. He was holding a crown in his hands. This crown was so extraordinarily beautiful that human language cannot begin to describe it. And Jesus told me, this is a soul winner's crown. My people are so careless, and Jesus continues, my people are so careless and indifferent. This crown is for every one of my children. I speak and I say to them, go speak to this one or pray for that one. But my people are too busy. They put it off and souls are lost because they will not obey me. When Jesus said that, I wept before him. I knelt down and repented of my failures. Then Jesus said to me again, come up hither. It seemed as if I went with him through the air until we came to a beautiful city. We did not actually go into the city, but we beheld it at close range as one might go up on a mountain and look down on a city in the valley. Its beauty was beyond words. And Jesus said that people selfishly say that they are ready for heaven. Selfishly. They talk about their mansions and the glories of heaven, while many around them live in darkness and hopelessness. And Jesus said that I should share my hope with them and invite them to come to heaven with me. That's what I felt yesterday at that funeral. And Jesus turned to me and said, Now let us go down to hell. We came back down out of heaven, and when we got to earth, we didn't stop, but we kept going. Numerous scriptures in the Bible refer to hell as being beneath us. For example, Isaiah 14, 9 and 15 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Thou shalt be brought down to hell. Isaiah 5, 14 says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself, and he shall descend into it. So we went down to hell, and as we went into that place, I saw what appeared to be human beings wrapped in flames. And then he shares some things about another vision. And then it says, And Jesus told me, Warn men and women about this place. And I cried out with tears that I would. He then brought me back to earth. I became aware that I was kneeling on the platform by the folding chair and Jesus was standing by my side. As he stood there, he talked to me about my ministry. He told me some things in general that he later explained in more detail in another vision. Then Jesus disappeared and I realized uh, I still was kneeling on the platform. I could hear people praying all around me. Well, that's not the end of the, the vision and I'm going to read some more to you. But first, I want to open up the scripture and talk about this soul winner's crown. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, I want to read verses 1 through 9, but I'm going to take them little portions at a time. Okay? And I want to talk to you about, uh, Jerry and I were praying about this this morning, by the way, uh, about, about living in God's peace in the midst of the chaos of this world that we are in. The world is a place of utter chaos today. Utter chaos today. And we, most people don't even realize 
the, the, just, just like it always is, you know, when, when you're in the middle of something chaotic and you can't figure out where the beginning is and where the end is, you don't really realize, your brain kind of clicks off uh, exactly how bad things are, how desperately bad things are. But we need God's peace in the midst of this storm. I've been talking a lot about that. We've been talking a lot about Sabbath rest and walking in the rest of the Lord. In fact, that was one of the things God told me for 2023 is we need to plan our lives around the rest and the peace of God. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Jesus showed Kenneth Hagin 70-something years ago in that particular vision, you know, and I could have not read that and still preached this, but what, what I need to read to you, you needed to hear that in the beginning, okay? Just trust me. But he showed them that there's this soul winner's crown. I want you to see from Scripture that that is very true. That is very scriptural. When Paul talks about the Philippians, and if you'll go back to Acts and read about the establishment of the church in Philippi, and how Paul was put in jail in Philippi, for, the, for preaching the gospel. And he was supposed to be executed, but God miraculously delivered him from that jail through an earthquake. And you remember there was this Philippian jailer uh, who was there, and he was going to commit suicide, but Paul said, stop, wait. you know. And then that's the verse where he says, you and all your household shall be saved. And he goes, and the whole revival begins in the house of this Philippian jailer. I mean, it's an amazing story. So, Sometime afterwards, Paul writes this letter back to the church in Philippi. And he says to them, all these people are people that got saved because of Paul's ministry. And he looks at them and he says to them, you are the jewels in my crown. You are my joy and you are my crown. You are the soul winner's crown. How much have we deprived ourselves of God's blessings and God's riches because we do not preach the gospel to people and we do not share our faith with people. And how often have we thought some little seed that we sowed or some little word that we preached, well, it seems like that really didn't bear any fruit, nothing big happened from that, and Satan tries to discourage us in being witnesses for Jesus. Do not be discouraged. You don't know what it's going to produce. You're not blessed by God or even need to see, you know, we're on a need to know basis here. And God doesn't need to show you. He just needs your obedience. You don't know what fruit that bore 20 years down the road, 40 years down the road. And someday you will see that in heaven. And sometimes in life, you get the special blessing of being able to hear about that from somebody. And that's really a special time. But you're not going to hear that very often. Mostly, you're just going to be sowing, you're going to be planting, and when you reap something, somebody gets saved, somebody's life has changed, you get all excited. Never forget that somebody else planted that seed. Somebody else watered that seed. Somebody else has been crying out in tears before God for generations for that seed to come to fruition. You just got the blessing to show up at the moment of harvest. You're the one that had the basket and you got to pick the apple. You understand? But we're all working together as a team to bring the gospel to this city, to our nation, and to this world. Then look at verse 
2. So the, the soul winner's crown. Verse 2. It says, I urge Yodia and I urge Sintihi to live in harmony in the Lord. These are two ladies. There's female names. <clears throat> Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the, that's a man, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I want you to understand that a crown, it's like a gold medal, okay? We give out medals to, or trophies to people that win in sports. Back then, they gave them a crown, right? A crown is given to the victor in a struggle. A crown is given to the victor in a contest. And the preaching of the gospel is a struggle. If we want revival, we're going to have struggle. If we want revival, we're going to have a contest. Satan's not going to just lay back and just let us do whatever we want to do. And, and we're going to have a contest and a struggle with our own flesh. That we've got to pour out our hearts before God. I mean, just the very simple thing that I talked about with being able to confess our sins one to another, as the Scripture says. What's, what kind of contest and struggle with our own flesh would it take to break the power of gossip in Garrington, Nevada? I've never been to a gossipier place in my life, I think. I mean, it is. You're, 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 you're afraid. You know, what, what are people going to see me do? What are people going to hear about what I did? They're going to blah, 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 You know, and, and so you just keep everything on the inside. And so there is never going to be revival in an atmosphere like that. Well, it's going to take a struggle. So Paul acknowledges the struggle here because a crown is given to a victor in a contest, in a struggle. And the preaching of the gospel is a struggle. Look at Philippians chapter 1 real quickly. <clears throat> in verse 14, he describes some of this struggle. He says, and, the, and that most of the brethren, Philippians 1.14, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, he's in jail, have far more, he's writing this from jail, by the way, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And let me just bring this up right away. What if your pastor was in prison today? Would you be very proud of that? Because I promise you, they wouldn't say he's in prison because he's preaching the gospel. They didn't say that about Paul either. Paul's in prison because he's trying to foment a rebellion against the empire. You know, they're going to trump up some other charge. And this was really a struggle for these people. That our apostle Paul is in prison. And some people were ashamed of that. Some people were embarrassed that Paul was in prison. And that would have been a normal feeling. So he talks about this in verse 15. He says, some to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. You know it's possible to preach Christ with wrong motives. But some also are doing it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, the ones that do it from goodwill, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ, this is weird, but listen to this, out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So some people were preaching the gospel from impure motives to make things worse for Paul in prison because they want to get rid of Paul. It's a struggle. It's a battle. And then he says, what then? In verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. 
Well, that's something I want to tell you about having peace in the midst of chaos. We're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to develop on the inside of us that kind of humility, where we stop worrying about what people think. I mean, can you imagine Paul, that he sits, he's able to write by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, I know that these enemies of mine are doing this against me to make things worse for me, but I'm going to see the cup as being half full instead of half empty. At least they're preaching Christ. They've been tricked into preaching Jesus, and whatever their motive is, God can take care of that. But as long as Jesus is being preached, that's all that I'm really caring about here. And he's able to say that. So there's a struggle. Well, as a result of the struggle for preaching the gospel, as a result of the struggle for revival, some of the members of the team begin to fight with each other, and in particular, there are two ladies. One of them's name is Yevadia, and the other is Sintiki. And we don't know anything about these two ladies, except they must have been pretty important ministers in the church, because Paul calls them out by name. And he says they've begun to compete with one another. There's probably been some kind of church split. And one of them went and started their own fellowship over here, and the other went and started another fellowship over here. But Paul refuses to recognize the church split. He says that this is all, you're all my joy and my crown. You know, that's how Jesus looks at Christians in Yarrington today. He sees us as all being his joy and crown. And he wants us all to see ourselves as being on the same team, members of the same body. You know, and members of the same body are all different. Some members of the body don't even meet with each other. That's why you need one of those back scrubbing things. There's places you can't reach on your body, right? But they're all part of the same body, coordinated under the same head, Christ Jesus. So he's writing, he said, he's saying we need to see harmony. We need to have them be of one mind. They may be doing different things in different ministries in different places, but stop criticizing each other all the time. Stop fighting with each other all the time. When there's a struggle, inevitably, there become jealousies and envy and strife within the team members. I mean, this happens in sports all the time. And the job of the coach is to get that to stop and let's work together as a team. And that's what Jesus wants, that they would live and work in harmony. He says, after all, we're all in this book of life together. All of our names are in the book of life. If you were continued the sport theme, you might say we're all on the roster. Some of us might be sitting on the bench, but that's an important place also. It is. Everything is important for the work of the gospel, what God is doing. Notice that he talks about a true companion here. A true companion. It's the only place in the book of Philippians that he addresses this to one single person. He says, indeed, true companion. Well, for several reasons that I won't go into because they take more time, uh, we can see from the scripture when we study the book of Acts that this is most likely talking about Luke because Luke stayed in Philippi instead of going on with Paul and Timothy. So Paul left one of his true companions, a person after his own heart, to to shepherd the revival. You understand? Revival needs to be shepherded. Revival needs to be decent and in order. Because if you don't have a vessel that can hold that, 
if you've got women fighting with each other and maybe Clement's trying to get involved and who knows what's going on there, then the revival is lost. And it happens over and over again in the history of churches. Now look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Everybody knows this verse. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, for the Lord is near. The next thing I want to say about living in peace in the middle of this chaos is having the joy and the gentleness of Christ. Christ, Jesus, is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And we've lost the understanding of what it means to be gentle or or very close to losing it. We've lost the understanding of the power of a meek and a humble spirit because we live in a society of braggarts. We live in a society where if you don't toot your own horn, nobody's going to toot it. You're not going to get ahead. But Jesus Christ is of a gentle spirit. And he talks about the joy in this gentleness. If you want to know more about that gentle spirit, well, it's enough just to go back to Philippians chapter 2. And I don't have the time to read that. Where it says, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself to go to the cross. Read it. That's the attitude of a good citizen of the kingdom of God. Good citizenship is something that is talked about in schools still to this day. Nobody really knows what it means anymore. But good citizenship is talked about in the Bible. But it's not being citizens of the United States of America, but being citizens of the commonwealth of heaven. Being citizens of the kingdom of God. And this joy and this gentleness of Christ are the hallmarks of that citizenship. In Philippians 3.20 it says, Our citizenship, or our commonwealth, is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we want to see revival, if we want to have peace in the time of chaos, we're going to have to get back to prayer prayer supplication asking god and giving him thanks worship one of the hallmarks of what i've been able to see from kentucky and you're going to see this in every revival that's ever been is just this this willingness to wait on god in prayer and to worship him and in worship just to wait on God in prayer. Prayer is one of those things that no, you don't have to pray for hours and hours every day uh, for God to answer your prayers. But I can promise you this, if you've ever experienced it, when you're praying in the Holy Spirit, when you're praying in in your language and in a tongue that you do not understand, when you're praying together with the Word of God as you're meditating on the Word of God and you're feeding yourself on the Word of God, not so that you can write a sermon, but you're, you're in this devotion before God, you know, every one of you know who's ever done this, that if you'll just wait a little bit longer and remain a little bit longer, there are certain blessings that don't just come with, with the first amen. That sometimes you just need to wait on the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean quit your jobs. 
There's nothing in Scripture about quitting your jobs. In fact, your job, your place where you work, the place where you live is where we're taking the Holy Spirit, where we're taking the gospel. But have you noticed that we're going and we're empty? Our tanks are empty. We've got to keep ourselves filled up. And, well, I just don't have enough time. Okay, then take your smartphone and you don't have to throw it in the trash, but put it on the shelf somewhere and don't touch it for a week. You'd be amazed how much time you have. You might start reading a book again. I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself. We are being deceived. We are being led away from the things that really mean something in our lives and the Word of God and prayer, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and this honest relationship with God where we confess our sin, where we're open before Him, where we make our requests known to God. Do you make your requests known unto God? Well, when you start making your requests known unto God, you start praying for things that you know about, right? And most of those things are things that Jesus said before you even asked about them, God already knew about it. But when you really wait on the Lord, as the old-timers used to say, tarry before the Lord, you begin to find requests on the inside of you that you didn't know about. Things that you actually really need. And the Holy Spirit begins to stir those up on the inside of you. And you realize that I didn't need to be praying about these surface things. There's some deep things that need to happen here. And we make those requests known to God. This is talking about revival. It says that God's peace will come to you. What do we need today in the United States of America more than anything? I'm, I'm sure it's the peace of God. We have more people depressed today than there's ever been in the history of the world. I'm certain of it. I'm not preaching against any medications. I'm not telling anybody, go throw your medications in the trash. In fact, I would say, don't throw your medications in the trash until you're sure you don't need them. But we have more people on drugs today, legal drugs, because they're depressed, because they don't see any way forward. People are bored. They're depressed. Technology has not done anything for us except make us more depressed and more bored. And it's Satan's trap. We need peace. But that peace will come when we have a revival in our own hearts. And that revival will come when we actually get back to prayer and to the Word of God. Yes, that's so simple. But it's always the simple things in life that makes a difference. God's peace is beyond all comprehension. And then it says in verses 8 and 9, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on or think on or meditate on these things. That has to do with what we think, doesn't it? And, oh, I don't even have time to preach on this. I don't need to preach on it. There's a list, okay? There's a list. So start turning off everything that your ears are hearing that doesn't conform to this list. And watch the miraculous thing that happens when you start thinking about something more pure. Okay, it actually works. Stop listening th to things that are lies. I'm not. This isn't just talking about cuss words or something like that. Well, we can throw them and they're easy, but that's that's easy pickings. Anybody can say. But stop listening to the lies all the time. Stop convincing yourself about things that they're trying to convince. You know, we have this we have this uh, uh, just human nature thing where uh, you know, say you you turned on the TV and it was MSNBC. Everybody's bad. 
bad MSNBC, MSNBC bad, right? So you turn on MSNBC and one of those guys or gals is in there talking about something that you know is a lie, a complete lie. And you're like, ah, oh, man, they're always lying to me. Well, there's just human nature. You can only handle so many lies, okay? This is a psychological fact. You can only handle so many lies. So they'll keep telling lies, but you keep watching. And yeah, that's a lie, and you're fighting with them. But then suddenly they'll say something, and something in your brain clicks. Well, that must be true. There's probably some truth to that. And it's all happening. It's a, there's a whole, it's how propaganda works. It's all happening because you've allowed yourself to continue to listen to people that you know are lying to you. You know they're lying to you, but you just keep listening to them. You understand? Well, this, you can see this in families where there, there's uh, 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 husbands uh, or a man in a relationship. It could be the other way around, I guess, but most often is the, a man who's physically abusing a woman and, you know, and, and really violently physically abusing her. And she just keeps going back, just keeps going back, just keeps going back. And we're being abused by lies today. Don't allow that. Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, excellence, worthy of praise, those are the things you need to think on. And then verse 9 says, and the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So this is so simple that, it, that, that it's, it's just going to go right over your heads if you don't listen. But if you want to have peace in these times of chaos, get into God's Word. Get into prayer. <laughs> be in that daily. And start thinking about the right things and actually do them. Because if we're not doing them, it's not revival. Jesus said that we should be, the, the Scripture says we should be doers of the Word and not hearers only, right? And Jesus told this parable about a man who built his house on the sand and a man who built his house on the rock. We all know that parable, I think. And that when the storms came, the house on the sand was washed away. When the storms came, when the chaos came, the house on the rock stood. But we forget what the main difference in, that, in those two men are, is. Jesus said in the parable that they both hear the Word of God. But the one who builds his house on the sand hears God's Word but doesn't do it. The one who builds his house on the rock hears God's word, and he actually puts it into practice. He does it. I'm sure he's not perfect, but he's trying to do what God is telling him in his life. And that's where we need to be, that we practice these things, and then the God of peace will be with you all. So notice in verse 5, in verse 5, here is Philippians chapter 4, that it ends with this phrase, the Lord is near, or the Lord is at hand. So I'm going to read another excerpt to you from this book, from chapter 2 of uh, I Believe in Visions by Kenneth Hagin. It's the same vision. It continues along the same thing. I just chopped it up and took some stuff out. And if you remember, he was on the platform. He begins to see the people around. Everybody's there. And then it says this. Listen to this part carefully. It says, about that time, remember this is September 1950. About that time, the Holy Spirit came upon me again. It seemed as if a wind were blowing on me, and I fell flat on my face on the platform. As I lay under the power of God, it seemed as if I were standing high on a plane somewhere in space. 
and I could see for miles and miles around me, just as one can stand on the great plains of the United States and gaze off into the distance for miles. I looked in every direction, but I could not see a sign of life anywhere. There was darkness and hopelessness. And Jesus said, I should share, uh, sorry, I looked in every direction, but I could not see a sign of life anywhere. There were no trees or grass. There were no flowers or vegetation of any kind. There were no birds or animals. It was a scene of war. I felt so lonely. I was not conscious of my earthly surroundings. As I looked to the west, he even gives directions that this came from the west, I saw what appeared to be a tiny dot on the horizon. It was the only moving thing I could see. As I watched, it grew larger and came toward me, taking on shape and form. Soon I could see it was a horse. As it came closer, I could see a man upon the horse. He was riding toward me at full speed. As he approached, I could see he held the reins of the horse's bridle in his right hand. And in his left hand, high above his head, he held a scroll of paper. And when the horseman came to me, he pulled on the reins and stopped. I stood on his right. He passed the scroll from his left hand to his right hand, and he handed it to me. As I unscrolled the scroll, which was a roll of paper, 12 or 14 inches long, he said, the man on the horse said, take and read. At the top of the page, in big, bold, black print, were the words, war and destruction. I was struck dumb. He laid his right hand on my head and said, Read it in the name of Jesus Christ. I began to read what was written on the paper, and as the words instructed me, I looked and saw what I had just read about. First, I read about thousands upon thousands of men in uniform. Then I looked and saw these men marching, wave after wave of soldiers, marching as to war. I looked in the direction they were going, and as far as I could see, there were thousands of men marching. I turned to read the scroll again and then looked and saw what I had just read about. I saw many women, old women with snowy white hair, middle-aged women, young women, and teenagers. Some of the younger ones held babies in their arms. All of the women were bowed together in sorrow and were weeping profusely. Those who did not carry babies held their hands on their stomachs as they bowed over and they wept. Tears flowed from their eyes like water. I looked at the scroll again. And again, I looked to see what I had read about. I saw the skyline of a large city. And looking closer, I saw the skyscrapers were burned out holes. Portions of the city lay in ruins. It was not written that just one city would be destroyed, burned, and in ruins. But there, there would be many such cities. And the scroll was written in the first person. And it seemed as if Jesus himself were speaking. And I read... America is receiving her last call. Some nations already have received their last call and never will receive another. Then in larger print, it said, the time of the end of all things is at hand. And this statement was repeated four or five times. And Jesus also said that this would be the great last great revival. I'm going to read a little bit more of that, but I just want to point something out to you. This was the moment when I was reading this, when I was talking with Kevin McMullen, that all these puzzle pieces just fell in for me because I want to say that this vision was given to him in 1950. And like I said, I'd read this book many times. I even heard him talk about this vision live and in person. 
you know, but it never really made much of an impression on me. But in 1950, this vision was given after World War II, after World War II. And there's never been a time in Europe or since World War II where these scenes have repeated. These are the scenes of World War II, but they've never repeated after that time. And yet today, over the last year, these scenes are repeating over and over again. And he said that he saw thousands upon thousands of soldiers marching, and they were coming, this was coming from the west, and he could see the direction that they were going in. I do not know and do not have any predictions. I mean, I got ideas that are not based on what the Holy Spirit told me, but just things I think. Now, I don't have any predictions about how long this war will continue that's going on in Ukraine. You know, the things I look at and the things I see make me think it's going to go on for a long time. Uh, but that may not be true. And my prayers are not that it will go on for a long time, but that it will be solved soon. But it doesn't sound like it's getting solved anytime soon. The rhetoric in Munich right now uh, from the West is just being ratcheted up higher and higher and higher. So the rhetoric from Moscow gets higher and higher and higher, and the rhetoric in Kiev gets higher and higher and higher, and it doesn't sound like anything's getting ready to be solved anytime soon. And everything about it makes me think of what I learned in history about 1939 and 1940 before World War II was called World War II. And everybody who has any thinking powers at all knows that this could turn into a massive world war. But it would be a massive world war that would have the potential to bring destruction like no war has ever brought before. Because in World War II, we were on the brink of having nuclear weapons. The Nazis had actually developed the worst chemical weapons that had existed in, in history and nobody knew about them. All of that technology is in the West. All of that technology is in the East today. And we know for, for a fact that if there's world war today, that it has very much the potential of wiping out entire countries, entire nations, entire huge cities, you know, of completely not destroying human life on the planet. I know the Bible doesn't tell us that. And I actually don't think, it's my opinion, that we're going to see a nuclear war. And my, it's just my opinion. I might be completely wrong, but I've preached this many times looking at the book of Revelation. That in the book of Revelation, it seems that the destruction that comes upon the earth, that God will not share his glory with another. And there are powers that are worse than atomic weapons, than nuclear weapons. And the power of God has more awesome destructive power than anything that a nuclear weapon could do. It's enough just to look at the little thing that happened, because it's a little thing compared to what could happen in Turkey over these past couple of weeks. The power when, when God unleashes power upon this earth. And you want to question, well, was that God or was that devil? Or I'm not even going to get into it. But, oh, you know, there's a lot of reasons for things. Why would you build those kind of shoddy houses on the places where there's going to be an earthquake and stuff like that? But we understand the power that's in this universe that we have to deal with. And when there's demon spirits being unleashed from hell and all these things we read about in Revelation, and these things are happening right now, we live in a, in a very, very dangerous world. So I don't know, like I said, how long this war is going to go on, Okay. But what I do know is that the scenes that are described here, skyscrapers that are burned out holes. Maybe you don't spend any time 
following what's going on in, 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 in this war, both in Ukraine and in Russia. But these are the pictures you see of skyscrapers, entire cities, but not the entire city, portions of the city, where the skyscrapers, the buildings are completely burned out holes, uh, where soldiers are marching, where women are weeping and crying, all of these things. And you would say, well, that's, that's a scene from any war. Yeah, of course it is. But it's never happened since World War II, okay? And this, this vision was given to him in 1950. And it's exactly what we see today. Even the part about there not being any trees or any birds or flowers. If you look at the, the scenes of the war, then, you know, that's, that's what you see. His entire forest just mowed down with ammunition. You know, things completely burned and completely destroyed because that's what war is like. And that's what's going on. And it's happening in Europe um, today. And to think that the United States isn't involved is just absolutely, absolute nonsense. But sometimes we can go on thinking things like that, but eventually we're involved in everything. It all comes home to us. So I don't want to talk about just the horrors of that, but I really want you to understand something because it's, it's what the Lord just, I, it put this together for me. And I understood it already, but it was like this came together for me. That this is the end of all things. That the time of the end of the all things is at hand. We are either on the very beginning of the final seven years. Perhaps they've, I've talked about this when we went through Revelation. Perhaps they've already started and we wouldn't even know. Or it's very, very soon. Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back soon. And the time of the end of all things is at hand. And Jesus said to him in 1950, America is receiving her last call. Some nations already have received their last call and never will receive another. And then he said that this is also the time of the great revival. So let me read on just a little bit and then I'll put this all together and we're in. He went on to say, I'm quoting from that book, reading this excerpt. He went on to say, or Jesus went on to say, listen to this. All the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation in the church in these last days. And the church will do greater things than even the early church did. It will have greater power, signs, and wonders than were recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. He said that we have seen and experienced many healings, but we will now behold amazing miracles that have not been seen before. And you may be sitting there thinking, oh yeah, everybody always says that kind of stuff. But when's it going to happen? Because let's be honest, in Yarrington, Nevada, we've never seen things that were greater than in the book of Acts. I mean, we've seen some good things. But greater than in the book of Acts, we've never seen that kind of move of God here. And I've been hearing this kind of stuff all my life. I have. I've been in church all my life. I've been hearing this kind of stuff all my life. You get excited about it, but then later you think, well, I don't know about that. When's this actually going to happen? But I want to tell you from the Scripture, because that's what we need to base our faith on and our understanding. That in the Scripture, we see in the book of Revelation, that in the last day, we see that there are two witnesses. There are two lampstands. And I've explained this before. It's not just two people, although I believe there will be actual two people, but it's two churches, okay? Because the lampstands are churches in the book of Revelation. Jesus says, the lampstands are my churches. And I believe that it's an indication or a sign of the church made up of the Gentiles and the Jews. And there is power in those two witnesses that's not in the book of Acts, that far exceeds the book of Acts. 
And that power is being uh, manifested because they're doing the Great Commission. Because they are witnessing for Jesus to a lost and a dying world. And they're doing it in strength and they're doing it in power. And it says that it's like fire that comes out of their mouth and destroys their enemies. And nobody can stop them until God says, okay, they finished their ministry. And then God allows them to be killed and then he raises them up from the dead. If you remember that in the book of Revelation. So based on scripture, I believe, and if you don't believe, start believing that we will see this in Yarrington, Nevada also. I believe that we will see this around America also. And it won't be because it was organized by the politicians. It won't be because it was shown on Fox News or CNN or somewhere else. It won't be a Hollywood thing. It won't be a Washington thing. It'll be a real revival in the hearts of the people that hunger and thirst for Jesus. And the results of that revival, you might not even hear about them on the news. But the results of that revival will be the lost getting saved, the demon-possessed getting delivered, the sick being healed, the lame walking, the blind seeing, miracles. That's what it was in the book of Acts, and we should not expect anything less. And we should hang on until we have the best that God has for us. But the book of Acts begins with Jesus telling them, stay here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't run off. You're not ready yet. You've got to get the revival in you first, and then you can take the revival to the world. And it's the same today. So let me read on just a little bit more. Jesus continued, I'm quoting from this, more and more miracles will be performed in the last days, which are just ahead, for it is the time for the gift of the working of miracles to be more in prominence. We now have entered into the era of the miraculous. Many of my own people will not accept the moving of my spirit, and they will turn back and will not be ready to meet me at my coming. Many will be deceived by false prophets and miracles of satanic origin. Now listen to this. But follow the word of God, the spirit of God, and me and you will not be deceived. I am gathering my own together and preparing them for the time is short. Then there were several other exhortations of watchfulness to awaken and pray and not be deceived. And then I read. So listen to this. And then I read. He reads this in the scroll that was given to him. As it was in the days of Noah, so also also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As I spoke to Noah and said, for yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off off the face of the earth, Genesis 7-4. So today I am speaking and giving America her last warning and call to repentance. And the time that is left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah's time. Warn this generation as did Noah his generation, for judgment is about to fall. And these sayings shall be fulfilled shortly, for I am coming soon, Jesus repeated. This is the last revival. I am preparing my people for my coming. Judgment is coming, but I will call my people away even unto myself before the worst shall come. Be thou, but be thou faithful. And we see that in Revelation chapter 18. Come out of her, my people. Babylon has fallen. 
But be thou faithful, watch and pray, for the time of the end of all things is at hand. So as I read that two months ago and was praying, the Lord just put this puzzle piece in for me also, and Pastor Kevin McMullen was talking about the same thing, and I was like, no, that's really God, really quite amazing. So 50 years, I'm sorry, in 1950, in September of 1950, he had this vision. He recorded this vision. Like I said, it's been in a book for, you know, decades. Nobody's really paid attention to it at all, and it hasn't really perhaps had that much of a meaning, but I, I want you to listen to something. Fit 70 years. So he said seven, it'll be the seven years of the days of Noah. Seven days of Noah. This is the warning that I'm giving. So the seven days is 70 years. And if you go 70 years from the time that he received this vision of Jesus and heard these words, if you go 70 years forward, you come to the fall of 2020. And the fall of 2020 is a very significant time in the history of our nation. Because we experienced, and I'm not going to say this from a political standpoint, I want you to hear this from a spiritual standpoint, but in the spirit, we experienced what's called a coup d'etat, an overturn of the state. That happened in the fall of 2020. It was a sudden, violent seizure of power in the United States. It occurred in the spirit realm, and it was manifest in our election. And anybody that knows me knows I never was a super flag-waving Trump fan, although I love all my flag-waving Trump fans. But I was never the MAGA hat man. You know? So I'm not talking about the politics of this, okay? But if you have not experienced that something's changed in our nation over the past two years, then you're, you've really got your head buried in the sand. Because everything has changed. Everything has changed. Something significant occurred. It was a spiritual, violent, sudden seizure of power. And it was manifest in our election. I mean, again, I don't like to preach all the politics of this, but I live in Nevada. I remember that election. And I know somebody cheated because everything went offline for days and all of a sudden came back and all the results are all different. I mean, you, 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 don't, you don't have to be a genius to figure out we're getting ripped off here. Something happened. Something changed. But what changed didn't change because of what happened uh, in the natural. What happened in the natural is because of what happened in the spirit. There was a coup d'etat, an overturning of in, 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 in this nation. And I want to tell you why that happened. And I'm not going to take the time to read these verses because I've been going too long already. But you read them. I've read them before. I talked about them back during the pandemic, so-called pandemic. First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. There's a story of when David takes a census of the people. Okay? And it says in First Chronicles 21.1 that Satan moved the heart of David to take a census of the people. Now, why is that so bad to take a census? Well, it wasn't necessarily bad. But in Exodus, God, uh, the Lord Yahweh, told Moses what they were supposed to do when they took a census. It was okay to take a census for certain reasons. But he said, when you take a census, you do not take a tax from the people for the government. You take a tax from the people for me. If you're going to take a census, 
then everybody's going to have to give a half shekel, which wasn't very much, but everybody gives a half shekel to, uh, as an offering to put in the offering plate. Uh, and, and, and the point of it was this. You see, when you count something, that means it belongs to you. I can't count Jerry's money. I can't count Stan's money. I'm not even going to try to ask him. How much, what do you got in your, can, you, can I see your checkbook there, Jerry? Can I see your bank account? I'm going to count your money. It's not my money. It's none of my business, right? I count the things that belong to me. And in the most ancient of times, this power of counting had to do with possession. You count what you possess. So God said, if you're going to count these people, you're going to, you can only do it in a way that recognizes that they do not belong to the government. They belong to me. Well, David wanted to make a census that Satan moved his heart to make because he feared the enemies. Satan means enemy. And he wanted to know how many people, how many fighting men he had so that he could muster an army, right? And he wanted to tax those people so that he could build an army. And this was evil. He went to Joab, his commander, you know, it'd be like Lloyd Austin or somebody, you know, big guy in the military. He went to Joab and, and he said, you know, hey, Joab, I need you to go out and count. And Joab said, David, please don't do this. This is so wrong. We cannot control the people of this nation. They belong to the Lord. And David said, no, you're going to do it. And Joab did it. Well, when he did it, the, 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 the Lord sent a prophet to David named Gad. And when he came to David, he said to him, well, uh, you, did, you, did, you did bad there, buddy, and uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> and the Lord is offering you three possible punishments, and you have to choose which one you want. Well, the first one is that you are going to experience a, a famine for many years. For three years, you'll have famine. The second one, for three months, you'll have war where your enemies will defeat you. And the third one is for three days, you will have a pestilence sent amongst you that will be under the control of God. You will fall into the hands of the Lord. Which one of these three do you want? And David cried out to God, I cannot fall into the hands of man because the hands of man show no mercy, but I will fall into the hands of the Lord because he is merciful to me. And if you read the story, you know that this pestilence came, this pandemic came, and it wiped out a huge uh, number of people. I think it was 70,000 or something. You can read it. That just wiped out all these people in a day. And then God stopped and he had mercy because David prayed, it's not their fault, God. It's me. They were the sheep. I was the shepherd and I blew it. They didn't do anything wrong. Let this come on me. And that attitude of Jesus, that, that gentleness, that meekness, that I will take the punishment on myself. And God recognized that in David and he stopped the hand of the angel of the Lord that was punishing, that was punishing the people for, what, for David's sin. Well, the story goes on. It ends up with it actually being the place where the temple was built on Mount Moriah. You can read that story. It's an amazing story. But I remember back in that time when 2020, going back to 20, which actually is a census year. Did you know that? It actually is just a census year, 2020. 2020 is the year that the United States of America, our government, made a choice that we choose the three years of famine. We choose economic destruction. We choose lockdown. We choose masks. We choose to put more control on people, not less control. It, that's just a fact. We chose, we made the wrong choice. 
And then what followed on that is war. And that's what we're making a choice for now. When we could have chosen to fall into the hands of the Lord. So something happened in 2020. 70 years, like the seven years of Noah, that came uh, after uh, this, this, this prophecy. And today, we live in that war. We refuse to fall into the merciful hand of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Listen to this. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. I'm really talking about revival here. The part of this you've got to focus on is what the Lord spoke to him. The other part, I just want you to see that this all came to pass. This has already happened. I actually believe that America has already received its last call. I do not believe. You can believe it. I'm fine. I'm not going to you know, get mad at you if you believe it. And everybody can think I'm wrong. It doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't matter to me. But I do not believe that we will see a, uh, you know, a revival of the sense that we have seen in the past where the entire government has actually changed and everything changes in Washington. I, don't th- I, I, I think that, 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 that time's over. And I'm happy. Because with that time being over, and us not dreaming of that anymore, how we're going to change everything politically, maybe we're ready like some students in Kentucky just to sit down in the presence of God and get real revival. Maybe we're ready to understand that people need to be saved. They need to be saved. They need Jesus in their lives. And we'll open our hearts to really receive Jesus, to really receive this crown. And so what's that going to look like? It's going to look like fervent love that we have one for another. I just can't, I keep coming back to that. I cannot, I don't even remember an atmosphere where a teenage boy, or maybe he's 19 or 20 or 21 years old. Anybody in here remember being that age? Some of you are that age. Any man remember what it was like when you were 19, 20, 21? Where a teenage boy could sit in a church service and honestly pour his heart out before his peers and before adults in that room and ask for prayer because of the faults and weaknesses in his own life and not be condemned, not be gossiped about, not be kicked out of school for it. There was a revival that almost happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma back when I was really young in the late 70s. There was a man by the name of Keith Green. Many of you know who I'm talking about. He was a prophet to my generation. He was a real prophet of God and an an excellent musician. And he came to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I lived at the time. And he had a concert there. He never charged a penny for his concerts, never, because he believed that what he's received freely, he has to give freely. They take up a love offering, you know, whatever they got. Everything was always, if you didn't want to give anything, it didn't matter, because he came to preach Jesus. He didn't come to make money. And they had a revival begin to break out. And it began that some of the students, one of the students, came forward and confessed some very dark sins that were in his life. And when the administration of the university heard it, they shut the whole thing down. 
and said, we're not going to have this because it's going to ruin the reputation of our university. And they stopped it. And it, it never happened. We can thwart the move of God. We can stop the move of God in our lives. So if we want the move of God, if we want revival, we've got to realize something. We've got to quit pretending like the end is not near. It says the end of all things is near. The Lord is near. We've got to quit pretending that we're going to be able to change everything by voting. And I'm not saying don't vote. I'm going to vote. I vote all the time. Vote, vote, vote. But we're not going to change everything by voting. Be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer and keep fervent in your love for one another because love exposes everybody's sins. Is that what it says? What does it say? Love covers a multitude of sins. So where there's gossip, where there's exposing of people's weaknesses, I guarantee you there's not love in that place. And there's not an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. We'll be hospitable, but do it without complaining. <laughs> if, if you've got a gift, how many of you have a gift from the Lord? Raise your hand. If somebody doesn't have their hand up. That's just because you, you, you haven't figured it out yet. Everybody has a gift from the Lord. And whatever gift you have, employ it. Use it by serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Revival is this separation of ourselves in holiness to the Lord, but it's also a separation of ourselves to each other, to using our gifts, to love one another, to do what God has called us to do. It's not the media event. It's not the political event. It's love that we have one for another. You could go through the New Testament. There are many scriptures that talk about this crown that the Lord wants to give us. You'll find 2 Timothy and James, 1 Peter and Revelation. Do a little word study on it. And you'll find that in every place, it talks about loving His appearing, loving Him, wanting to be with Jesus. And this is the crown of a soul winner, a crown of one who brings people to the Lord. Let's stand together. I hope you got something out of that. I know that was a whole lot of material, but I had to get that off of my heart. It's been on there for two months. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you are still speaking today prophetically. That no prophecy of man is of any private interpretation. That no prophecy takes precedence over your written word, over the word that you speak to us. But I thank you for the gift of prophecy. I thank you for the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. I thank you for the speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. I thank you for miracles. I thank you for healings. I thank you for the discerning of spirits that we could see and know the difference between darkness and light and not be deceived by Satan who appears as an angel of light but is not. I thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in our lives. I thank you for the talents and gifts you've placed into each one of our lives. And Lord, I just pray that you would create, that you would help us to be uh, vessels who are cleansed, who are ready to receive what it is you have for us. We can't make you move, Holy Spirit, but we sure can be ready for you when you want to move, when you're ready to move. Lord, we want to prepare our hearts Many, many of us have been hearing about revival 
And it is, God, such an amazing thing. One of the things you spoke at the beginning of this year is that things that are unbelievable will become incontrovertible by the end of this year. That there will be an Isaiah born to Abraham and Sarah, something that seemed impossible to them, and they wanted you just to bless their Ishmael, bless the flesh. But God, you want to do something more. You want to do something bigger. Lord, keep our hearts open and ready to receive what it is you're doing in our lives, Lord. Help us not to abort the move of the Holy Spirit. Help us not to uh, prematurely birth the move of the Holy Spirit. Help us not to reject the move of the Holy Spirit, but just to be willing vessels. Lord, if there's anything we could work on right now, let it be that we would begin to be more fervent in our love for one another. We would cover the multitude of sins. And we would open our hearts and our homes, literally, to be hospitable to one another without complaining. That we would draw closer to you by drawing closer to one another. Let it begin in our homes and in our families, between husbands and wives, parents and children. Lord, that our focus and our, of our mental energy would be on thinking and meditating on the things that are pure, that are right, that are true. And that the focus of our physical activity, because we only have so much energy we can expend in a day, would be on doing the right thing. Doing what it is that you've given us to do, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that though, that in this last call, in these very last days, that truly we would see the things we read about in the book of Revelation, that we would stand as these witnesses with your fire in our hearts and in our mouths and with your strength in our lives to give witness to you and get back to fulfilling this great commission and taking this gospel to every nation on earth, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's sing together. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvinionfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.